Welcome back to the show. This is Brett Hawes and you're tuned in to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. Uh, before I hop into today's show, uh, which is a change of gears, I think everyone is a little bit ronaed out and uh, maybe we need a little break from COVID. Uh, so we're going to change tack today and um, really get back to food and uh, talk about the Sapien Way and the documentary that is coming up called Food Lies. Before I do that, um, I just a couple of announcements. Uh, I know many of you have joined our Facebook community. Um, so, you know, great to have you there. And if you haven't done so, uh, please do. Right. So I'll throw a link down into the show notes there and we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. And for those of you who are practitioners, uh, so if you are a health coach, a nutritionist, um, a functional medicine practitioner, a naturopath, anyone who deals uh, with sort of food, nutrition, supplements uh, in a clinical setting, uh, you might be interested in my upcoming program, uh, which is a Digestive Health Practitioner Masterclass. Uh, I've had, I think, a little over 100 students go through that. Um, I did this last fall and then sort of took a break. And uh, we've now, uh, we're relaunching this as an online program with lifetime access to our private practitioner support group. So um, stay tuned for that. If you're not on the mailing list, um, again, just, you know, there's lots of places to opt in to our mailing list. Uh, definitely get on the mailing list and uh, stay tuned for that. I'm super pumped to be launching that because it is literally the feedback that I've got from that program has just been so humbling and pretty phenomenal, to be quite honest with you. And I know that this program is making a huge difference in not just practitioners, lives but also the lives of their clients and patients so stay tuned for digestive uh, health practitioner masterclass that's coming up uh, very soon within the next week or two so um Right on to today's show. Uh, Brian Sanders is the um, guy behind uh, Food Lies and behind the Sapien. I don't want to call it a diet because it's really a sort of way of being, if you will, a uh, way of life. And, you know, when I first reached out to Brian on the show, I really thought that this podcast was going to be more along the lines of, you know, a, a keto, carnivore, paleo type of conversation. And I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised by the sort of open-mindedness and also the rational um, level-headed discussion that we had um, about food and uh, you know our conversation takes us through many different um, areas within food but I think one of the things that I really took away from this is that there are some fundamental pillars that I think that people forget about and you know just getting back to basics getting on to more of a whole foods diet with low processed foods cutting out things like really um, you know garbage garbage vegetable oils, lots of sugar and so forth. But really the word food lies, you know, we get into some of the things that we've been told that are just flat out wrong. And we also do talk uh, quite a bit about the food in the historical context, right? So we look at food 100 years ago, we talk a bit about the work of Dr. Weston Price, and we sort of frame up the Sapien framework. Uh, we talk quite a bit on the importance of macros and uh, high protein, 
right? So protein is a marker for satiety and for satisfaction. We talk about things like nutrient and caloric density. We spend quite a good bit of time talking about intermittent fasting and really how to transition onto that in a safe way that is actually going to be effective. And of course, what follows from that is, um, you know, getting into things like ketosis, fat adaptation. Um, We talk a little bit about exercise as well. So the whole idea of, um, you know, eating less and moving more and why that's not necessarily uh, the way to go and uh, what you can do about that. And then we do talk about uh, long term versus short term satiety. Okay, um, so yeah, lots of cool stuff in here. I think um, you're going to get a lot of value from this episode. Uh, I had a fantastic time um, speaking with Brian on the show, and I really can't wait for his documentary Food Lies uh, to come out, which should be coming out uh, in the next couple of months, I think, um, if, you know, COVID pending. So I'm going to leave it at that. And as always, if you do enjoy today's show, uh, please subscribe, review, and share this with your friends, your family, and your community. Uh, so please welcome to the show, Brian Sanders. All right. Hey, Brian, welcome to Holistic Health Masterclass podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good conversation. Um, and, you know, as we said um, off air, there's just a lot of different directions we can go. Um, and I'm pretty sure we're going to ruffle some feathers, no doubt. Um, mm-hmm. but that's okay. You know, ruffling feathers means growth, means expansion, and also um, just gets people to think a little bit, uh, which is good. So before we even get into the topic of the day, um, perhaps, like, what's your background? You know, we'll talk about mm. documentary and all that, but what, do you, what exactly do you do and how did you get into all of this? Yeah, I have a weird story. I started as a mechanical engineer, so I went to mechanical engineering school at UCLA and I, you know, went down that path. It was cool, but I, it wasn't exactly for me. And I actually had some overuse injuries from using the computer too much, which is going to come back around later. So then got into tech and, you know, did all this tech stuff. And I had this background in film in high school. And then I kept trying to find what I wanted to do with my life. And it just came back around to film when I saw what the health a couple of years ago. And I was getting into nutrition more. And, you know, my parents were having these health issues so I really started lo- looking into health and, you know, I was 31 when I basically lost both my parents. So that, that really, you know, affected me. And, you know, then I saw what the health, I'm like, this is just the opposite information that we need. This is a, well, it's a plant-based film, but my parents followed the food pyramid their whole life. We, you know, we ate all the things we cooked our own food. We weren't going out to eat to fast food restaurants, barely, you know, like a couple times a month. And they just got worse and worse. And I think it's because of these bad guidelines. And so I, I decided I need to make a film. I, just, I got into uh, this world. I started a podcast. I have all kinds of things going on in this space now where I'm just trying to promote, I guess, the opposite of what the food pyramid promotes, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us, I mean, especially those of us who've been in this for a while, like we, the, the food guide um, has never really been endorsed by anyone who knows what they're talking about. Um, you know, the food guide was essentially developed by companies um, and meat boards and dairy boards and grain boards and sugar boards and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really much uh, in terms of, uh, I mean, I don't want to say there's nothing in terms of scientific founding, but yeah, I think the writing's on the wall. Um, you know, and even these days when you try and budge um, 
or try and change anything in the food guide, there's automatic uproar, you, you know, mm -hmm. like from, from whoever, you know, so we told you to eat less of this or more of that and someone gets upset about it. But um, so that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's an interesting um, backstory to how you got to, to where you are today. And, um, you know, what, so Food Lies is a documentary that you've been working on. Where are you at with that? Is, is that actually out right now or are you kind of in limbo? Mm. Now, it's a long process. So, yeah. I mean, the new Game Changers film is, you know, this big new vegan film. That took five years and millions of dollars to make. So I'm uh, halfway there. I'm two and a half years in and uh, maybe one one hundredth of the budget. <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, we're working with like a hundred grand. You know, we kind of did some crowdfunding and you know, we got some more money in recently, but it, it's just long, slow process and money is kind of the limiting factor, right? So we're, we're doing great though. The film is going to be so good. I, I can't believe how good it's going to be. That's why we're taking our time. I have an amazing new director on board. So he's just world-class. I, I grew up with him actually in Hawaii and we're doing something really special with this film, trying to make waves, you know, want to go big. Like there's been other nutrition films out there on both sides. You know, usually the vegan ones are the ones that make it into the mainstream, but, uh, on the opposite side, none of have really made it to the mainstream. I don't think, I mean, magic pill went on Netflix and you know, that's kind of like a keto film. But, uh, other than that, I haven't really heard of any making it to the mainstream. So yeah. we're trying to do that. And I think it's cool. I mean, look, it's good for many reasons. And um, obviously, in our discussion today as well, um, I will play a little bit of devil's advocates because um, I want to try and put myself in the space of the audience that's listening to this mm -hmm. and perhaps bring up some questions that they might have that I know you've had, you know, you've, you've had those uh, questions before. Um, you know that people are thinking about them. But so let's talk about food, food lies. Um, you know, why, why did you choose that name and what are the lies really? Um, if we mm. can summarize that into a real short, um, uh, yeah, I, I know it's a long conversation, but if we, no, 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 yeah, yeah. Food yeah. lies. Well, I think that I, I like these really short titles, you know, you got, you got to be short and that, and those two words to me describe it the best in the, in the least amount of letters even, right. We got eight letters here and it's telling you what, the story of just what happened the past, say, 60 years. And I think the, the major food lies are meat is unhealthy, fat is bad for you, grains are the best thing on earth. You know, these, these things, that, that kind of just drove everything in the wrong way. And then you could, go, there's some other ones about, you know, like salt. We're like, oh my God, you can't eat any salt. Yeah. And, and then, and, and like, oh, fruit, eat, you know, like 10 servings of fruit or eight servings of fruit. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe if it was not just this new giant sugary fruit that's been engineered to have more sugar. And, you know, I, I don't think fruit's actually that healthy, really. When you look at the nutrients of fruit, if you, you know, you actually look at what's in it, it, there's not that much, you know, it's like, we think it's, oh, it's so amazing. It's like, well, look at it, like, look it up, go, go to the USDA and look at the, you know, the amount of of actual nutrients in it. And you'd be mm -hmm. surprised. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are pretty well, well versed in all the stuff. And, um, I think especially when you, when you look at it from a very, from a, from a very foundational level, you know, you mentioned things like low fat, for example, we've had decades now to put low fat to the test, 
we can see that it obviously has really done nothing to move the needle on cardiovascular disease. Um, in fact, cardiovascular disease rates have gone up. Um, same thing with low salt. You know, it's so so. You know, I think that we've had a good long time to have a look at these things and how they've played out, and I think that's why there's such um, keen interest and debate with regards to fat. You know, so now it's like moving from low fat. Well, should we be going high fat? Should we just be focusing on eating the right fats? Like, where do we go from there? And I think grains, you know, I mean, you start looking at things like um, plant paradox, you know, we'll perhaps talk about lectins and so on uh, a little bit later on. But yeah, you know, you start looking at that now. And I mean, so many people with autoimmune issues, for example, you know, cutting out grains and cutting out legumes and really seeing dramatic improvements in, um, in their health. So I think that, um, you know, what I'm getting at, though, is uh, it's a little bit of a nuanced discussion, I feel. Um, and I don't think we're all the way there yet because people are starting to sort of crack this open. But are we adopting it en masse? Like, absolutely not. Like, we're not there yet. And this is why I'm excited to talk to you today because I know that what you're doing with the film and a lot of the stuff I've seen you post online is doing just that. You know, we are trying to sort of like bring this out into the mm. mainstream a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, sugar is another one. You know, I think, we, you know, low fat, yeah. uh, low fat, high sugar, and then boom, here we are today. So diabetes rates are, are crazy. But, um, you know, one, you sort of coined this phrase, um, the, the sapien diet, right? I mean, is it a sapien mm -hmm. diet or is it more just a way of eating? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't even like the word diet, but I had this word victus, which is a Latin word that means your sustenance. It's like your way of eating the, the food, the, you know, the array of foods that keep you healthy. I like to start that word, but that, that could be a 10-year process. But it, yeah, it's a saving way of life. It's just how humans should live. And this kind of all ties into the nuance and the there's different messages out there. I'm trying to not say there's one way to do things too. Like I, I understand that a low-fat diet can work. And a lot of people in the nutrition space, have, you're like, oh, you, you guys are denying this or you guys don't believe in calories. Or you, like, no, I get it. I mean, we've seen this experiment that the low-fat diet doesn't work if you just throw it out to the public and have processed foods and all this. But yes, of course, technically it can work. Of course, like this is, no one's denying this. So I want to show the both sides of nutrition. So that's a big thing with how I even came up with the Sapien framework, Sapien diet, whatever you want to call it, is that there, there's an array of ways that humans have lived. We've lived all over the earth, right? And there's all different kinds of foods available. And depending on the geography or the season, or even the the time in history, right? If we're looking at an ice age or we're looking at these Northern climates, like, all right, maybe they didn't have plants for, you know, then nine, 11 months of the year. So we're trying to factor in all these things. There's no one way to eat, right? There's, and, but there is a framework. And I think I've interviewed about 150 people by now for the film, for podcasts, for phone calls I've had. And I try to just put that all together. I, I have this sort of engineering background, you know, I'm like looking at systems, architect, all this kind of stuff, big picture. And I, and I don't want to get like dogmatic about one way of doing things. So this is all kind of leading into, you know, what we're going to do in the film and what the Sapien framework is, which is all, all what are the unifying themes that I found, right? Talking to all these different people and looking at both sides. So what are the, what is everyone doing correctly that has a good diet for, throughout history, throughout the world, modern world, you know, old, new, like we're going to look at all these themes and then what are they not doing? 
if they are healthy. So then those common themes become very obvious when you, when you start doing that. And so I, I even did a visual of the Sapien framework where it includes different types of diets. Like you can have a pescatarian diet in the Sapien framework because if you're eating all whole foods and you're getting some really nutrient-dense seafood, then there's nothing wrong with that diet, right? If you're not eating a bunch of sugar and grains, maybe. I mean, some people can even eat grains, especially if you properly prepare them. So I got really into the Weston Price and maybe your listeners are probably well aware, but you know, he's traveled around, found found all these same things I'm talking about, the, the common things people did and then what they avoided. And it was what they all avoided was the sugar, the refined grains and the vegetable oils, right? And that's what most of our foods made up these days. And what they all did do in common is they embraced nutrient dense animal foods, especially around pregnancy. And they regarded these animal fats and animal and nose to tail. And, you know, they would eat the entire animal and the organs and the bone marrow. And yeah, so so that that I kind of you know looked into that a lot and and brought that in, but then that it's a good way to look at all the different diets and when what works and what doesn't right and yeah. because Western Prize went all over the world and then they were they're very different populations, but they had these commonalities well yeah, and I think that um you know i've I've obviously looked at Western Prize a lot like I've taught that to a lot of my students and what what's always interesting I mean the Western Prize Foundation itself gets slammed these days a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, just by, you know, more of the plant-based vegan communities. Uh, and, and I think that what I've seen them do is sort of, I don't want to say bastardize it a little bit, but they've tried to really push everything into this one neat little box and to sort of say like everyone should do this one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it detracts a lot from what Western Price actually found in that when he traveled around to all of these different countries, you know, he saw people, as you said, eating whole foods, first of all, you know, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But also a big um, a, a big area is eating locally. You know, mm-hmm. this was this was pre-industrialization. Like people didn't have access to imported foods, to a lot of processed foods. And once he started comparing the let's say the grandparents' generation with the children's generation, it was all of a sudden they started eating foods that were not from there, that were more processed, and they mm-hmm. detracted from whatever their traditional diet was. And that was that started the tooth decay, the sort of declines in health. But um, the other thing which I think is, you know, you touched on is the fact that they, they, the diets were all different, mm-hmm. right? Which is interesting. So, you know, they ate locally. And if you look at Scottish, I don't know, Scottish uh, people eating, you know, um, salmon head stuffed with oats, right? Like that's what their thing was. But if you go to Switzerland, it's like a completely different diet and they're, they're eating high fat dairy and, you know, you just keep going on and on. And I think um, just coming back to whole foods, you know, I think that's a really good place for people to start before they start really getting like very nitpicky and polarized with, with, with diet. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's the most important thing. That's really the unifying theory of nutrition. If you could talk to anyone, that's like the one thing people can agree on from all sides. And it is for a reason, you know, and, and properly preparing the foods. Well, that, that ties into this to and locally and and these methods that we use i, I kind of got off track for a second but talking about the grains right the mm. what's he found that yes they were eating grains but they would soak them overnight and ferment them and if you were making a sourdough bread it was long fermented and it changes you know the mm. the gluten and all these other things and anti-nutrients and everything they did was about making the food more bioavailable the nutrition more bioavailable so 
whether it be fermenting vegetables or doing stuff, you know, these things would, you know, get out some of the anti-nutrients and help, you know, make the nutrients more bioavailable. Yeah. So, so, so just coming back to, to the, the sapien framework of eating, you know, so whole foods is one, like we, I think we can both agree on that. Are there any other sort of defining features or unifying themes that you mm. feel, you know, you mentioned animal products and I'm assuming that animal products could be quite diverse, um, mm. you know, depending on where you are, depending on what's around you. Um, so maybe you can expand on that and then let's talk about yeah. some of these other unifying themes. Yeah. Yeah. So the first, there's kind of these pillars like nutrient dense whole foods is number one. So we kind of covered that. And number two, well, animal foods. Yes. I, I believe most people, in the world, in westernized countries, there's, you know, studies, I think it was the U.S., it was 88% of people are not metabolically well, you mm. know, they, so they have some sort of problems. And so we need to, I think the easiest way and the most effective way, and for many reasons we can go into is, I believe we should be embracing, uh, well, focusing on protein, first of all, focusing mm. on complete protein, embracing fat and minimizing carbs. That's kind of just a general sapient framework is, is, you know, maybe you can do the opposite. And some people like to have high carb diets and you can formulate a diet. You know what I mean? Like some people, but I mean, really, this is the framework that works for the most people, especially if they already have some sort of metabolic damage. Let's minimize the carbs, embrace fat and focus on protein. And you're talking about these animal foods and animal foods have complete protein and Again, trying to be balanced. Yes, you can get you know complete protein by mixing all these different plant sources, and you're you're refining them out, or you're processing them, or you're getting them from a, around the world. You're talking about locally, right? It's like you can't always get complete protein from plant sources locally, so it, yeah. it doesn't make yeah. sense that that's what we should be doing. It's that the animal foods have the complete protein; it has everything you need. Mm-hmm. So. Um- and I think you're spot on, you know, I, I think um, for us in the space, for myself as a functional medicine practitioner and just looking at what, which way the wind is blowing, I think that it's starting to become somewhat agreed on by most parties that at least keeping your carbohydrate intake in check is a good starting place, right? So maybe not everyone should be going from eating six meals a day to going one meal a day and you know 90% fat kind of thing. Like it's a little bit of yeah, a shock yeah. to the system mm-hmm. and it's perhaps a little bit radical for a lot of people. So I think for listeners and for you know general public, I think keep you know you're right, keeping your carbs in check, focusing on proteins, fats, um, that's gonna help to stabilize blood sugar, um, which you know then stabilizes insulin production, et cetera, et cetera. And um, th- there's your metabolism at least moving in the right direction. Um, Absolutely, and and yeah, and then the last thing is just don't eat all the time, right? We we had the, so that's really the sapien framework. And all, what I've seen in all these different diets is they do the, kind of these three things. Not exactly because some you know people cultures don't have access to enough fats, so they have to rely on carbs more. But they're eating whole food carbs, but they're not eating all the time. You're not snacking, and this whole idea of six meals a day. You know, I'm sure you've covered this kind of thing before, but it's just really important, I think, to give your body some rest and there's all this autophagy and just, let's, yeah, let's not be constantly giving your body this stimulus of food and yeah, let's have some times off. Yeah. So what, so what have you found? I mean, in talking to people, what have you found with like intermittent fasting is obviously like a huge, you know, mm-hmm. topic these days. People are talking yeah. about it. There's a million ways from Sunday to do it. 
But in speaking to all of these people, have you sort of found perhaps from maybe a historical perspective, like were people intermittent fasting, you know, back in the day, like how were they doing that? And obviously it was done more, um, not by choice in, in many yeah. instances. It was just what was around. You know, if you were on the hunt for four days, well, you probably weren't going to eat too much for four days. But once you killed um, the animal, like you're going to eat a lot, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There, there's all kinds of ways to look at it. And I, yeah, that is the complicated part because everyone you talk to will have their own way of doing it. And you're also, w- which time of history are we looking at? So yes, for right. most of history, it's like you said, we could have gone four days without food or we, we could have been doing one meal a day all this kind of stuff. But then even in more modern history, it's really interesting that basically all religions have a component of fasting in it, right? So even though if we did have food in abundance or not maybe abundance, abundance, you know, depending on what time of history, we still knew it was good to not eat all the time. And it was, right? How, why else would it be worked into all religions all around the world? People understood it's healthy. So for me, I like to just keep it simple where for me, a daily not eating for 16 hours is Mm -hmm. great, right? It's just a condensed eating window within eight hours. And then sometimes I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not a big extended. And I do like the idea that some people have Dr. Peter Tia, like different, you know, maybe once a week, I'm not going to eat for 24 hours or once a quarter, I'm not going to eat for two days. Yeah. I'm not going to eat for five days. You know what I mean? These, there's too many permutations of all these different ways to do it. And I think the simplest way to do it is just maybe just eat during an eight hour window daily. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's funny because I've started seeing things floating around on Facebook where, you know, you've got people that are quite well respected that have got big followings and they're just, there's no context to the intermittent fasting. You know, it's sort of like, you can just just do this, you know, just go for it. And, you know, you got these people that are coming off a standard American diet, mm. you know, they're just like overweight, oh, their man. body's got lots of toxins, their metabolism's a wreck, and they're trying to go on one meal a day where it's just, you know, 80% fat, and they're just having an awful time of it where, you know, they can't sleep, like they're getting worse, they're tired, and it's yeah. just like, holy smokes. It's backfiring. It's yeah, you backfiring. can't just... Yeah, you, you can't go like so crazy right out the gate, you know, and um, I'm just finding that a lot of people are not, as far as I can see, and perhaps you can comment, is, is actually gravitating or moving yourself from where you are now and working your way onto um, some mm. type of moderate intermittent fasting schedule. No, that's exactly right. So I do also work with a doctor here in LA and I work in, in a clinic called Evolve Healthcare and we, this, we, we have a program and it's, it's definitely not starting off the bat with that. First, it's like, let's cut down on the processed foods, right? Step one is just let's move towards whole foods. Then it's let's cut down the carbs and sugar. Then it's let's start getting fat adapted. And, you know, that could be, an, it could take a couple of weeks just to get there. And then it could be three more weeks to get fat adapted. Yeah. And then you know, maybe we can start talking about fasting. Like, you know what I mean? This is maybe six weeks in. Mm-hmm. We're not going to start people fasting in, in week one. So you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's a process and your body has to be ready for it. So talk to me a little bit about, um, for, for our listeners anyway, fat adaptation. Like maybe you can expand on that a little bit. Yeah. People who don't know what that is. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, ketosis, people heard of keto diets. I mean, this is kind of, 
what it is is you're training your body to be fat adapted. It just means, yeah, you're, you're keto in a way that your body has to switch over to a fat burning metabolism. And most people don't have this fat burning metabolism ever used, right? Most people are eating carbs, they're eating frequently, they're never tapping into this mechanism. And so kind of the ultimate goal is to be metabolically flexible, right? So metabolically flexible means that you could burn fat or glucose, whatever is available. And most people can only burn glucose. So being fat adapted is, is spending enough time to, to get your system to switch over. And the, the, the metabolic machinery kind of switches into this state where if you give it few enough carbs, for some people, you know, on average, people say, you know, it's like less than 50 grams of carbs per day. And you do that for, you know, sometimes up to three weeks, you will probably be, quote, fat adapted and be able to, you know, produce ketones well right so and that 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 process you know since you're working in that space and really focusing in on that you've seen that it takes anywhere from what two to two to six weeks kind of thing for people something like that yeah exactly and then and then people listening also might hear about the keto flu and you could if you don't have enough electrolytes or if you're just you know kind of not doing it properly or even if you are it's just your body's kind of switching over and you should watch in that two to three week range i remember it happening for me and I was, had no energy for a couple of days where I just felt oh. terrible. Like I couldn't, you know, I would try to go play beach volleyball and I played like one game and had to leave when I usually play 10. So, yes. yeah. So, so I think um, another point of clarification for our listeners, um, when we're talking about, you know, this whole idea of switching to fat burning mode, right? So um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll sort of back up a couple of steps for people who might not know about any of this. Yeah, mm -hmm. So your body is essentially um, designed biologically to burn carbohydrates and fats for energy, right? We can burn proteins, but it's very inefficient and we prefer not to do it that mm -hmm. way. So if we're eating carbohydrates all the time, carbs can turn to fats. Therefore, we put on weight plus insulin. And now we, are, we constantly feed our body carbohydrates and we never actually learn how to metabolize the stored fat that we have, you know, aka our weight. So, so now, um, coming on point, when we, when we look at burning fats, right, do you feel that, um, you know, fat adaptation, do you have to be in ketosis to be able to train your body to do that? Or can mm. you get to a, you know, that's question one and then follow up, or do you feel that there's a, a, a point along the journey where people are able to switch between burning carbs and burning fats. Like, cause you know, yeah, I don't know what yeah. your thoughts are on, on 24 yeah. seven ketosis, but I'm, I'm personally not a big fan. Oh, but, me neither. No, I, I've never been a fan of 24. Yeah. Like people who do it for years at a time. And I don't think that's natural. It's not evolutionarily accurate. I don't believe. And, well, no one's ever done that. I mean, maybe the Inuit up in the Arctic, maybe, because they had like zero plants around them, but <laughs> yeah, um, maybe, but then still they, I think for some part of the year, I mean, maybe they did it nine months out of the year. Right. But then I, I believe, you know, they, they had some more plant foods or they even traded for, you know, plant foods Other or stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or they, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. There there's many reasons why. I mean, so it, yeah, I, I like to be metabolically flexible. So yes, you don't have to be, constantly in ketosis you don't have to be you can be fat adapted and not be having high ketone readings you know if you wanted to measure your ketones you wouldn't always be throwing off these high readings yeah. you can be in low level ketosis and that's just fine or you could come in and out of ketosis and just fine i i've personally don't like to 
ever worry about it or check. And so I'm assuming when I wake up, you know, and I haven't been eating a lot of carbs, of course, I'm in ketosis, but then I'm going to eat a meal and, you know, if, if I'm out, I'm out. And if not, I'm not. And then if, if I'm going to do a workout, so I work out in the evening, I, I don't, I want to come out of ketosis after my work. I want to have a refeed. I, I like this strategy of having, you know, working out, like do some resistance training, you know, lift weights. Like let's put a stimulus on our body and be in an anabolic mode for a little bit, right? And I will eat, refeed and eat a bunch of protein and maybe I'll have some carbs and, and I wanted to tell my body, like, get bigger, like, let's grow. But I don't always want to be in that growth mode. So, so my new kind of ideas about all this, you know, taking it in from all sides and everyone's like saying there are different ways of doing things. Like, what if we, you know, have some time, a short window where I am in this anabolic mode, I am, you know, there's mTOR and there's IGF-1. People are talking about these things as a bad thing. And, you know, maybe it is a bad thing if you're constantly producing these things and this, these growth factors, right? Mm-hmm. But it, if I'm kind of, you know, mostly fat burning for most of the day and I'm in like an anti-catabolic state, right? So ketosis is anti-catabolic. So it's, it helps you to not break down, right? It's, you're, it's, it's this mode. Yeah, yeah, I know, it's like maintenance. Maintenance mode. And then so I'll, I'll be, so maybe I'll eat a smaller like keto meal for lunch and still stay in this sort of longevity state, we might call it. And then I'm going to work out and be in a growth state, which is, mm. but then I'm not always in the growth state, right? So I think this is the best thing I can do for longevity for myself is to, you want to carry lean muscle mass. Lean muscle mass is great for a million things. Mm-hmm. It's great as you age for sure. Keep your lean muscle mass as you age. And so I, I want to be in this growth state for some time of the day, but not always. So if you look at kind of these diet wars out there and people are like, oh, plant-based diets and this and that, you don't, like meat causes you to produce mTOR and that, you know, you don't always want that. Well, guess what? Eating a whole bunch of carbs six times a day is going to produce way more mTOR than eating, you know, one big meal of meat in the evening, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's kind of this, some of this nuance that people need to understand is that there's consequences of every type of food you eat and, you know, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I, th- I think, you know, part of why I wanted to wanted you to speak a little bit about that is that there is, there's misinformation out there, but everyone, you know, not everyone, but there's also a very dogmatic approach to a lot of these styles of eating, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, like, you've got people that are coming off a standard American diet and just going one meal a day and just going for it, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think that, um, you know, the reason why I wanted you to speak about it is is to help listeners um, maybe figure out what, the, how to, how to get there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also to not agonize so much, you know, you've got people that are literally carrying, you know, um, ketone sticks around with them all day long and panicking. You know I mean? If there's like 12 grams of carbs in some kind of greens powder, they're freaking out because they don't want to come out of ketosis. And it's like, you know, there was never a culture in history that was vegan and there was never a culture in history that was permanently in ketosis either. Yeah. So I don't think that either of those extremes is a very good way to, to exist on a permanent basis. Um, Absolutely. That's a good message. And, and that's kind of what the sapien diet's all about. It's, it's not a keto diet. It, you, you will be fat adapted probably if you do it correctly, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's definitely not a ketogenic, like 24 seven diet at all. And 
yeah, people need, part of it is people are even stressed out about it. I mean, we're learning more about how much, you know, just stress and sleep and all these other factors come in. And I've seen people who are so stressed out about it and they're having like a food journal. They're like, oh my God, like where, what is this? I can't go to eat there. And they're screwing up their life kind of, they they have no social life or they, they just so many problems if you get too wrapped up in it. So yeah, it's yeah. a good message. Well, and this is, you know, this is why I've, again, I've been following you for a while on Facebook and I've seen what you're putting out and mm-hmm. I like it because it is more of a sort of quote unquote primal ancestral type of diet that's rooted in whole foods and that has some flexibility to it. And I think that's very important for people um, because, you know, I've taught nutritionists and I taught at a school for a really long time and mm. I would see people come out after their training with eating disorders Mm-hmm. So it's like after you've learned all this stuff, then you freak out and then you develop the eating disorder because you're so confused. Um, either you're confused yeah. about what to eat or you become so fixated on one way of eating that even if it turns out that that way of eating is not working for you, you still continue mm. with it until your health breaks down and then you come to some pretty harsh realizations, you know, which is... That's, that's very true. And I've seen, I've seen all kinds of stuff like that, yeah. yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? Um, so I wanted to, there's a couple of other things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, this whole idea of, um, of movement, you know, so we talk mm-hmm. about calories in, calories out, and mm-hmm. you know, the whole notion of eat less, um, eat less, move more. Um, perhaps you can unpack that a little bit and, um, and see why maybe that's mm. not necessarily yeah. the right way to go. Yeah, exactly. So eat less, move more. Yeah, I hate that statement, right? It's, it's kind of what our community, I don't know if you're, you know, how into my world you are, but that it's, we, we, we don't need to be tracking calories every second. I think it's good to know how, when, how much, how many calories are in foods, right? In the beginning, mm-hmm. like it's very, some people don't have any idea about macros and it's like, oh, how much fat, carbs, protein, they don't even understand that, how much is in food or yeah. how many calories. But yes, once you kind of learn, I don't think you need to ever track this. And I think it's, it's a stupid eat less, move more is, is basically just telling someone like make, you know, like spend less, make more money. It's like, okay, great. Spend less, make more money that you're a genius. Thank you for telling me how to be rich. So you need to tell someone what to do, right? Let's give a prescription, right? This is what health professionals are supposed to do and saying spend money and spend less and make more is not a prescription. So my prescription would be to eat densely, move intensely. Okay. So what do you mean by that? Eat densely. So eat nutrient dense foods. So I believe that calories should take care of themselves if you're eating the correct foods. And I really believe in satiety and I think everything revolves around satiety. I'm actually writing a whole book that's revolving around satiety that if you are eating the correct foods, you will naturally regulate your appetite. And everything makes sense. So that's why in our kind of high fat worlds, whole foods world, there people are, are naturally losing weight. They're not counting calories because they're just naturally full and everything works out. So eat densely means eat. And there's even the nutrient component too, where if you're, eat, if you're getting full nutrients, some people might be having, I don't know if it's, I've seen some studies, but it's not like super hard in the literature yet of like nutrient deficiency causing hunger, right? But if you're eating a processed food diet without enough nutrients, you have this, your body is not being satisfied. Yeah. Well, I mean, so think about it, you know, I'll, I'll just add to that because I've been banging on about that for years, right? It's mm-hmm. if, if you just think about it from a fundamental standpoint, like 
your body requires nutrients. Yes, we require calories for energy, 100%, but we require nutrients biologically to, you know, to be metabolically stable or optimized for all of our body functions to run. So you can imagine if you're eating an, uh, a diet that is lacking nutrients, right, but loaded with calories, essentially what's happening is from a caloric perspective, you're fine, like no problem, right? You're getting more than enough cal calories, but your body's crying out for nutrients, and so what will happen is that as you crave, you crave food, you're not really craving food, you're craving nutrients in a sense, mm -hmm. because you got more than enough calories, right? And 100%. so I've always said, you know, it's, it's the, the catchphrase there is, is overfed and undernourished, you know, Boom, and overfed yeah. and undernourished. I mean, you're never going to be satisfied, like plain and simple. That's exactly it. I mean, this is all tying together completely, completely correct. And uh, part of it too, I think is, well, it's protein and micronutrient dilution, right? If you're, you're diluting this out, this is kind of a Dr. Ted Naiman concept. If anyone mm. knows who that is, he's great. I do know, yeah. yeah. It's just that what all the happened in the past six years and especially with the processed foods is we're, we're taking out, we're diluting the amount of protein and micronutrients in foods and stuffing in sugar, refined grains and oils. And so, yes, the, there's a thing called the protein leverage hypothesis was, which is kind of like this, overfed undernourished thing is your body wants suppose you know this is a theory that i think is very good that your body wants to eat until it gets enough protein and micronutrients we'll throw that in there too right that there's this actual mechanism that they've done studies and you know maybe they weren't in human studies it's a little hard to do them but they did it in some animal models that animals ate until they got enough protein so if you took like a rat chow and you diluted out the protein with a whole bunch of extra calories right some some refined grains or something they kept eating until they got the same amount of protein as the other group did right that just just had the protein you know 20 whatever 20 we'll call it 20 percent protein so they dilated it out they ate way more calories to get the same amount of protein right so that's it's very interesting very and i think it's very accurate with what's happening in america it's exactly what you're talking about is your people are trying to eat the same amount of nutrients and protein is a essential nutrient plus the micronutrients. And because our food system is so messed up, they're having to eat way more calories to get the same amount of nutrients. So it's, it's just kind of depending on how you look at it. It's, it's exactly what you're talking about. So, so do you feel, we'll come back to the movement in a second, moving intensely, but I just want to yeah. sort of go with where we're at right now. Do you feel, um, you know, a couple of things that I'll throw out at you, um, the notion that people are eating too much protein is, is one, like, you know, we're eating too much protein. You'll sort of hear that from the plant-based community a lot um, because people mm. are eating lots of meat, like too much protein. So, you know, A is, I don't really believe that that's the case because if you look at government statistics, um, we're actually pretty bang on in terms of the reference ranges. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, but follow up to that question is, um, do you feel like protein is the marker of satiety? Like, is that, is that the thing that we're looking at? Or could we become satiated of carbs? Could we become satiated of fats? Like, Oh, yeah. This is all kinds of good stuff here. So, yeah, you're right. We're, our protein is around 12%, I think, which is actually an, in another rat model is the exact – that's the highest point of the most overeating. If you get protein down to 12%, they overeat the most. And if you get it up to like 30, I forget the percent, they eat the least. Huh. So yes, it's, and so there's many things going on there. 
And one of the things is, well, protein has a higher thermic defect of food, the TEF, right? The thermic defect of food is it, your body, it, it's harder for it to use protein. So it takes more of an expenditure to digest it. So you naturally, you know what I mean? Use it inefficiently in a way so that you can eat more. You know what I mean? It's, it's the most, so it's satiating in that way in the sense that you can eat a lot of it and the calories will matter less. It's hard to yeah. exactly I, say I, what's I know, going on. I know on. what you yeah. mean. I mean, also the other side of that is that, you know, carbs, carbs turn to, turn to fat ultimately, you know, turn to sugar, turn to fat, mm -hmm. um, fat, especially, you know, if you're eating perhaps too many of the wrong types of fats will definitely lead to weight gain as well, especially if you're not fat adapted, but proteins sort of like stand on their own, where mm -hmm. it's very difficult. It's a building block. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's difficult to become fat from eating too much protein. Like on yes, its own. it's a very hard conversion to do that for your body. Yeah. And, and then also, so yeah, it's just satiating too, just, well, in combination with fat too. It's, yeah. it's very satiating yeah. where yeah, you're just full. But then you're, you're right though, but some carbs, some people can develop satiating diets with carbohydrate, with whole food carbohydrates. And fiber, you know? Yeah, if you have a lot of fiber, or if you have like so potatoes, are supposedly very satiating. They did a 1995 Holt study that showed that it was one of the most satiating foods. But I mean, I wouldn't recommend that, especially most people. <laughs> you know, it's like very starchy. Has a, but it's possible, yeah. right, to be yeah. satiated on different foods. But there's also a difference between uh, being full after a meal and having true satiety. What is that? Like, yeah, ex explain that to me a little bit. So. It's kind of like you picture your stomach. There's like my stomach is full of something and I'm full and right. And that, and then there's a difference between six hours later, am I full or am I starving? So lots of the plant-based community, they're like, Oh, they have these graphics. Like, look at, you know, you're eating all these vegetables and starches and look at how full your stomach is. I'm like, yeah. And then you're starving two hours later. But if you're, eating truly satiating foods, which can include fiber, right? And nothing against vegetables yeah, or fiber, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it's based on protein and fat, then you will truly be satiated six hours later or, you know, depending on how much you eat. Like I, you know, am completely don't think about food for many, you know, 16 hours at a time. And then if I eat, then I'm full for seven hours. And then seven hours later, I'm like, oh, I'm getting a little hungry. And then I work out and eat again. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I am very satisfied for seven hours of time. And I don't know a, a lot of, you know, plant-based eaters that can be full for that amount of time. Yeah. And I think it's an important distinction to make, you know, is, is immediate satiety versus long-term satiety. Right. And I've seen, you know, um, Ted, Ted Nyman, I've seen his um, graphics that he puts up on Twitter um, where he's actually done the curves, you know, and you can see that being satisfied from protein definitely sustains your um, hunger for much longer than either proteins or sorry than either carbs or fats exactly um, which 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 is interesting so coming back to the second part of this whole eat less um you know move more and of course we're flipping that around and we're saying you know eat till you're satisfied and move intensely so what what do you what do you mean by move intensely yeah i like brief intense exercise this is another ted ted Naiman type of thing we're basically the same person we just uh, we uh we had a long podcast where we basically just agreed with each other for two hours uh, uh, he has Fun. a good book yeah but um move intensely i mean this is what we did but also there, there's a bit of a caveat it's like you don't always have to move intensely i also like this kind of low steady like low 
I forget the term for it, but like, you know, going on walks, like I think it's great to go on a long walk. I think it's great. Like kind of zone two cardio. Some of the stuff is really good for your mitochondria and long-term health and all kinds of good stuff. And, you know, going for short walks after you eat. So that's the one caveat. Like you don't always have to move intensely and, you know, ancestrally our ancestors were walking around. They weren't sitting around like we do. They, they, they weren't right? doing CrossFit for 16 hours a week either, right? Exactly. So what they did do was walk around, have a lot of movement, you know, just, you know, moving around, going, taking the state, like the modern equivalent would be using a stand-up desk, taking the stairs, going on walks, all this kind of stuff. And then, yeah, maybe they had some brief intense exercise. They either sprinted, they were catching an animal, they're running away from an animal, they're climbing a mountain, they were doing these intense activities, picking up, you know, large pieces of wood, you know, building shelter. Like this is, and and I believe that it's not necessary to do these insane CrossFit workouts. Good for you if you want to do them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying for me and Dr. Ted, we both are in good shape. You can look us both up. We do about 15 minutes of resistance training a day. And like, I do it like 15 minutes a day for four times a week. And he does about the same. And then, yeah, I play basketball for a couple hours and he does like ultimate Frisbee for a couple hours. It's like fun stuff, you know, fun stuff. So we're running around, we're having fun. We're not grueling, you know, treadmill, grueling, terrible workouts. So, and we're in great shape. So it, it, you can do it in a short amount of time if you do intense exercise. And so that's, I like, and compound movements. I believe in doing pull-ups and push-ups and squats and, you know, these basic movements. Like I'm not sitting there doing curls in the gym or doing all these isolated exercises. I'm, and I'm also going to failure. I think that's really a, a good strategy, especially if you want to have a quick workout and not have to spend an hour in the gym or more, right? If I can, and I talked to guys like Dr. Keith Barr, he's a great PhD scientist who, you know, studies this stuff. And he's talking about if you go to failure, like that's all your, your body needs. You will have this muscle protein synthesis if you, you go to failure and you can move on. And he's like, yeah, I go into the gym. For, I think his is about 15 minutes too. He's like, I just, I do these like six exercises and then I leave. Huh. But it's, yeah, but it's like, you got to go to failure. And I use drop sets. If people are familiar with drop sets, it's, it's say, I'll do 50 pound dumbbells and I'll bench press those until I can't do them anymore, right? You just go as hard as you can, put them down, grab the 40 pound dumbbells, go as hard as you do as many as you can, put them down, grab the 30 pound dumbbells and I just go out. So I'm using these 30 pound dumbbells, which isn't that much weight, but I am dead. You know yeah, what once, I mean? Yeah, I once am, you've done like three or four sets and you've gone down, yeah. you're, you're done. <laughs> so, so I can do that all. And, and then I just worked my chest and you know, tries very well and it was only a few minutes really you know if you're so and i'm getting a cardiovascular workout too i'm in there for 15 minutes i'm breathing hard so i'm not saying i'm a bodybuilder and i'm not saying that you know this is the way to become a bodybuilder but this is a way to spend 15 minutes and get really healthy and and i gained muscle so so what are your thoughts then on um, like, I know calisthenics or calisthenics? Calisthenics, like, yeah. Yeah, I know that's like becoming like a, a, a thing nowadays. And I know it's actually pretty old school. It's not a new thing by any stretch. But the idea of like combining intermittent fasting with more of, let's just say a low carb diet, you know, higher proteins, higher fats, lower carbs, and then combining that with calisthenics. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of people mm. in your space are kind of doing that nowadays. 
Yeah, well, you don't have to do it. And I, it's just more functional movement. I mean, calisthenics are kind of just, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, like these functional movements. And I, Ted, Dr. Ted really likes them because he works with all kinds of patients, all kinds of budgets and, you know, incomes. And you can do it on your own. And if you, you can look up a YouTube video and figure out how to do a workout with no equipment right? You can sit in your hotel room, maybe you're traveling and you could do like one-legged pistol squats. You can, you know, do push-ups. You can do all kinds of stuff with no equipment. But personally, I like, I have a weight vest and I, I have, I'm up to 40 pounds now. I, I put, I maxed it out. So I have 40 pounds waist vest. I do pull-ups, then I take it off and then I do more pull-ups, you know, and I'll do stuff like that where I'll do dips with it on and then take it off and do more so I can really go to failure. And I, yeah, but I mean, most people could just probably you know do it without the vest and work up to that eventually yeah well and i think that's the other thing as well right like you know for people just starting out like failure is going to happen real quick Mm -hmm. um you know you're just not gonna be able to do it but the more you do it the you know the the more um i I guess the better you get at it and uh, well yeah actually in the beginning it should be almost the opposite instead of going the weight vest route you want to do assist type exercises where how can i you know, do a dip with an assist. Like maybe you could, you know, use your foot to like help you a little, or some people have like, like pull up machines in a, in a gym where you could, they put the bar down and it helps pull you up a little, or you do, you can do pushups against a wall or do pushups against a couch. Right. And instead of doing perfectly flat pushups, you can just lean against something and do pushups. So yeah, work up to it. Mm -hmm. I think it's all, you know, I mean, one of the things I've enjoyed about our conversation today is just being, um, it, it's a bit more of a sensible approach to doing things. Um, you know, so much of what we hear about out there in the nutrition space, is, especially it's just, you know, there's one way of doing it and it's the only mm-hmm. way of doing it. And if you don't do it that way, well, it's just never going to work for you. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, again, maybe something I would get your, your opinion on, but I've enjoyed our conversation today for that reason. First of all, mm-hmm. is because I do see some flexibility. I see that we're not necessarily having to go the full keto route or agonizing over calories or agonizing over exercise. You know, it's just eating a whole foods diet with a lower carb, higher protein to fat intake, um, fasting, maybe working away into the fasting and then some movements, you know, functional Mm -hmm. movement, whatever that is for you and working your way up. So I think it's all sensible advice that most people out there can actually tap into and they can do, which is fantastic. But what are your thoughts? Um, I think perhaps finally, and if Mm -hmm. unless there's anything else you want to talk about, but your thoughts on bio individuality. Mm. Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. Like, so I, I'm so, I'm so conflicted on that because it's, it's, I kind of flip like every hour almost or every day <laughs> where I think, man, everyone, like there's no one size fits all diet. Everyone's a individual snowflake. And then the next hour I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, man, we're all the same. You know, we're all just homo sapiens. It's like you go to a zoo. We don't treat every single monkey as an individual snowflake and give them, you know, their individual little diet. You know, it's, it's kind of, both and i it's kind of both but there are many people with many very acute problems right there's no denying there's people who eat a peanut and will die there's people who are very gluten intolerant Mm -hmm. and all kinds of things like that so 100 percent there is but then there's also again i think it's a dr ted naman thing he's just like somewhere out there there's a planet where they stuck a whole bunch of aliens took a whole bunch of humans and stuck them in a some kind of display case and they're just feeding them 
you know, some meat, eggs, fish, and some vegetables, and they are all thriving. They're doing good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, so I'm kind of like straddling the, the fence here, but it, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also there's a difference between a therapeutic diet and more of a long-term sustainable diet, right? You know, therapeutic, if someone comes in and they've got whatever X illness, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to do something therapeutic to intervene to you know, move the needle forward for them. Mm-hmm. Perhaps once you've got rid of their psoriasis or their cardiovascular diseases improved or whatever the case, then you can move them on to more of the framework that um, you, you've outlined today. Um, yeah. So, you know, and no, I've said that for years. Um, you know, the constitutional diet versus therapeutic diets are, are very different things. Um, that's big. No, that's good to note. And that a lot of people, yeah, if you're, well, the problem is you're just going out on social media and hearing all this like crazy stuff because pe- that's a nuance that people aren't going to get down into when you're just doing a tweet or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I did remember one more thing I wanted to say is tying it all together and you're talking about how simple it is. My whole thing is, is about how to make it sustainable for life, right? And I'm sure you are as, as well. There's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, well, you know, you could just do this and you can lose weight this way. I'm like, yes, you can. But you're not going to do that for life. You're, you're on some crash diet. It's crazy. You're going to maybe lose a lot of weight in an unhealthy way very quickly, and it's not going to ever last. So all the things we mentioned today are simple ways to live. It's, I don't want to call it the sapien diet. And also, I don't even want it to be about my little sapien diet nomenclature. Mm-hmm. But really, what I'm talking about is all good diets have in common is is the simple things we're mentioning and you can call it whatever you want but it's yeah. just that that it's something that's sustainable for life it's a way it's a way of life and it's not restrictive of it and i every day i eat it's amazing and i <laughs> and even the workouts like yeah maybe i could be doing 45 minute you know power lifting workouts and be gaining a lot more muscle but that's not sustainable for me i'm not going to do that every day i'm not going to want to do it part of why this stuff works is because 15 minutes, I just go in there. I'll go in there and flip flops. I got this little gym in my apartment complex. I'll just go. I'm not, I don't even change clothes. I'll go, whatever I'm wearing, throw on some flip flops. I'm in LA, you know, it's warmer. Yeah. Go in there and I'll do it. It, It's, I, I don't have an excuse not to do it because it's so easy. So these are like these big things that are important, uh, that people should realize that are important in in their lifestyle for the rest. Yeah. What's going to be sustainable. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's, it's uh, pretty bang on because if you start looking at the dropout rates for veganism and vegetarianism, you know, upwards of 70% of um, plant-based eaters will eventually go back to eating meat. And if you look at the keto on the flip side, um, I think it's about 90% of people who adopt a keto diet will eventually fall off that diet because it's just insane to try and manage that. And to, mm-hmm. to, you know, just from like, okay, I can't have a beer or I can't go out for breakfast or I, it's just, you know, I can't go to my friend's yeah, house yeah. for dinner. It's, it's just like impossible to maintain. Um, so yeah, I love what you're doing. Um, I love the framework that you've painted. I, I think, um, you know, especially in speaking with so many people and interviewing so many people. So I'm excited for the documentary to come out um, whenever that mm-hmm. is and perhaps get you back on the show. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can finish off with that. It, it's a long journey. I think it's going to come out by fall. We're Oh, cool. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. We're really trying to get in there. I think fall is a good time to launch a film anyway. And it's, and to recap, I mean, 
the film is more than just about what we talked about. We're, we're giving the entire story of how humans evolved. Even we're going our, the whole evolutionary past, bringing it up to the, the present day where we went wrong and you know, all these kind of bad guidelines, how we should eat, like really talking about all these things, like how can we eat specifically, which a lot of nutrition films don't do. And then even going to the next level of regenerative farming and be like, okay, now that we know that meat is healthy, how can we do it sustainably and do it correctly? So yeah. we're kind of trying to do a lot in this film. But that's good though. You know, I mean, that's something that I've spoken about a lot as well is, is regenerative farming. Um, you know, it's, it's not that factory farming is terrible, period. I think everyone agrees mm-hmm. with that. Um, but do we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of saying, well, because factory farming is terrible, we should just do away with it altogether. We shouldn't farm animals at all and we should all be eating plants. It's like, well, maybe that's not the best solution either. You know, maybe we need to figure out a better way to farm food. And, um, you know, that's where Joel Salatin, you know, Polyface Farms and these guys are looking at that. And I think that there is a way to, to do it properly. Um, you, you know, yeah. again, small scale farming. I mean, I live out in the countryside um, here in a small town in Canada and you go around here, there's only small scale farms. Like, you know, there's, there's big farms, people doing like mm-hmm. still the 2000 acres of corn and whatever, but people that are doing animal farming here, it's all small scale farming. You know, there's, there's no mm-hmm. huge giant, like giant feedlots and stuff like that. And I think we kind of have to go that way. Um, that's but, the solution that's how we feed the world we, we feed the world by feeding your community and i i kind of didn't used to understand that because it didn't make sense to me until i i kind of realized what's what we're talking about is it's exactly right if if every community was fed by these small farms we wouldn't need these giant factory farms right and that it is possible if, if we focus on each community feeding themselves then you by default feed the world right? We, we don't need to think of this globalization type of thing. Like, oh my God, we got to ship people in China. We got to ship them grain. Like they're not getting enough food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and this, the, the World Health Organization has actually um, echoed that as well. You know, they've, they've said on numerous occasions um, that small scale organic farming, you know, regenerative farming is, is the way that we're going to feed the world. Because I think people like you and I also look at it through the lens of the Western world. You know, we're sitting in first world countries, you know, we've got a lot of luxuries, we have access mm-hmm. to all kinds of stuff, but the bulk of the world is not living in this situation. You know, for a lot mm-hmm. of them, they're already doing small scale farming. It's already organic because they don't, you know, they have to, I haven't even, yeah. they have to, you know, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so interesting stuff, but, um, I think we'll cut it there. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show, Brian. And, um, you know, I had a great conversation. Um, you know, I'm sure we could bang on for another couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Now, where can people find out about what you're doing? Um, catch up with you. And obviously I'll throw those in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you search food lies on any social media platform, I'm there. It's the simplest way. Even YouTube, I have a bunch of content on YouTube and the food lies channel. And you can see some of the, I actually filmed on a small farm near you. Actually, I, I awesome. flew into Toronto and we drove out a, a North West and yeah, I went to amazing woman's farm and you can find that video and yeah, sapien.org. So my company's called sapien and sapien.org and food lies is pretty much the easiest way. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show again. Um, we'll catch up soon. And uh, for you folks listening out there, as always, if you enjoyed the show today, uh, please consider um, sharing this with your friends, your family, your community, subscribing, reviewing, and doing whatever you can to get more uh, awesome guests like Brian. Um, so we're going to wrap it up and uh, you have yourself a beautiful day wherever you are. Bye.